I want you to do me a favor, pull out your Connections journal. It looks like this. It's in your bulletin every Sunday. It's a guide for your prayer and your study through the week. You'll notice all the scripture readings are related to just the thing we're talking about this morning, financial stewardship and generosity. And so uh, we hope you'll take this, use it with your quiet time with God each day, and let it guide that time with God as you go through the week. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Paul's first letter to Timothy, and we are going to read uh, chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Last week, you remember, we started with chapter seven, uh, verse 17, rather, we're going to go all the way through verse 19 this morning. Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let all God's people say, amen, amen. So last Sunday, we began our sermon series for October. These three weeks, we are talking about how to be rich. And we hope that you received a letter in the mail in the last week or two from our stewardship team here at Timberlake. In the letter, there's a, a letter from the church. There is a giving guide by percentage, and there is a pledge card that looks like this. We are hoping that you will fill out this pledge card and bring it back to worship next week as a commitment to God and to this church. And if you did not receive that letter with a pledge card, we have one for you right now this morning. Members of our serve team have it. So would you raise your hand if you did not receive this in the mail? We would like to give you one right now and make sure that you have it. Anybody who needs it, don't be shy. We want you to have it. Okay, it looks like everybody got one. That's great. That means our mail system is working. If you did not and you're just too shy to raise your hand, tell me after the service. We want to be sure you get one. And we want all of you to fill this out this week, bring it back next Sunday as a commitment to God and, and to this church. So during these three weeks, we are talking about how to be rich. Remember, this is not how to get rich. I spent most of last week trying to convince you that you already are rich, that we already are rich, that we are among the most blessed, among the most fortunate people to ever live in the history of the world. In fact, if you make $37,000 a year or more, that puts you in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Now, some of us were surprised to hear that, but it's true. If you make $37,000 a year or more, that puts you in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. In other words, my friends, we are rich. We are rich. And why is it so important to acknowledge that? Why is it so important to acknowledge the blessings that we've received from God? Well, here's the reason. The people who are good at being rich are the ones who are willing to admit that they are rich. If we continue on with the all shucks attitude, I don't have anything worth sharing with anybody else, we're never going to do anything extraordinary with what we have. But if we get honest and say, yep, I'm rich, I'm blessed, God has given me so much, then we are much more likely to do something extraordinary with that wealth, with that blessing, and share it with other people. And so we need to get good at being rich. And, and let's be honest this morning. Being rich comes with certain, um, what would you call it, challenges. Right? So a few years ago, for example, my in-laws gave us a very generous gift. They gave us a new refrigerator. And it was one of these refrigerators with the ice and water in the door, you know, where you just put your cup up and it fills it up. Now, this was the first fridge I had ever had like that, so I thought that was pretty cool, right? And I, I just thought it was the neatest thing. I'd go put my cup up there and fill it up. 
But as with all things that are shiny and new, eventually the shiny newness wears off. You ever had that experience before? And so I remember one day I stood there at my fridge and I put my glass up to the water dispenser. And I literally thought to myself, man, this thing sure is slow. Give me a break. What am I, some kind of caveman here waiting for the water to come out? I don't have all day. And then I realized what I was saying to myself. And I thought, whoops, whoops. This is just one of the struggles that plague us in the first world, right? What I like to call rich people problems. I wonder if you ever had any rich people problems before. You know, the, the kind of problems that only happen to rich people. You know, no one from the third world ever complained about a refrigerator that dispenses unlimited clean water, right? Only rich people would complain about something like that. I wonder if you've ever had any rich people problems. Uh, for example, if your pantry is full of food and your closet is full of clothes, but you've got nothing to eat and nothing to wear, you've got rich people problems. If your arms get tired from holding up your Kindle while you read in bed, you've got, what, rich people problems. If you ever purchased a new smartphone and then just a few days later they come out with a newer version of the same thing, and you're like so mad you got to drive all the way back to the store and stand in line again because you gotta, you got to have the newest one, you've got, what, rich people problems. If you've ever had too many chips left over for your dip, but you know if you open a new can of dip, you're going to end up with too much dip left over at the end and not enough chips. And why can't they just finish at the same time? Gosh, you've got rich people problems. If you ever want to watch TV and you got the DVD remote and you got the CD player remote and you got the old cable box remote, but you can't find the new cable box remote. So like an animal, you have to get up out of the seat Walk over to the TV and push the button to turn it on. You've got rich people problems. If you can't find a parking space near the entrance to your gym, so you have to park way far away and walk all the way into the gym so that you can get on the treadmill. <laughs> you've got rich people problems. If you've got bad cell phone coverage, if you've got slow internet, if, you're, if Amazon doesn't have your size in stock, if your big truck doesn't fit in the tiny parking space downtown Lynchburg, if the countertops in your kitchen don't go with the new appliances, if your vacation ends before you're ready for it to, if your kid's teacher is less charming than the one he had last year, you've got rich people problems. So maybe you have those too, not just me, huh? There's a word we have for rich people problems. Sometimes we call it affluenza. Affluenza. I wonder if you ever had a case of affluenza. It's kind of like influenza. Influenza infects the body. Affluenza infects the soul. And it is caused by affluence, by prosperity. And it's that bloated, sluggish, sort of unfulfilled feeling we have from trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know what I'm talking about? It's that sense of stress and overwork and waste and indebtedness that comes when we store up treasures on earth rather than storing up treasures in heaven. Most of us have it so good, we don't even realize it. We've got it so good that many of our problems are the kind of problems people in places like Syria or Honduras would love to have. And from time to time, we all complain about this stuff, right? Everybody does it, even the pastor. Okay, don't tell anyone, but it's true. And one small complaint right, is no big deal, and we can sort of let it go, and it doesn't necessarily change who we are or how we think. But the problem is, rarely is it just one small complaint. We get an attitude of complaining, and instead of noticing our blessings, we notice everything that is wrong in my life. 
And the problem is, see, the implication of our complaining is, if things would just go right with my car and my bank account and my laptop and my TV and my fridge, if things would just go right with all that stuff, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. We know that's not true, don't we? You see, this is a uniquely rich person problem. Because only rich people can afford all of that stuff in which we are tempted to put our happiness and our hope. So let's look again at what Paul said to Timothy. Chapter 6, verse 17. What are Paul's instructions to us? Paul said, command those who are rich in this present world. That's us, in other words. Command those who are rich not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. And Paul's reminding us of these twin dangers of having resources. The first danger is that we would be arrogant about it. We would think too highly of ourselves. The second danger is that we would put our hope in wealth instead of where it belongs. But Paul instructs us instead. He said, tell them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so we say, I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. Say it with me. I will not hope in riches, but in God who richly provides. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Paul continues in verse 18. He said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. My friends, this is the way to hope, not in riches, but in God who richly provides. Two basic ideas here. One, by doing good and being rich in good deeds. And two, by being generous and willing to share. I want to suggest to you this morning that the remedy for affluenza is generosity. The remedy for affluenza is generosity. Now, we knew already, right, that the remedy is not a nicer fridge, and it's not one more remote control in the stack of remote controls. That's not the remedy for our rich people problems. The remedy is generosity. The solution is becoming the kind of generous giver that Jesus has called us to be. So I want to take a look for a few moments with you this morning about what does Jesus say about how to be rich? What does Jesus say about how to be generous, about what this looks like? And we've distilled the teaching of Jesus down into three basic, simple ideas. We're calling them the three Ps, very alliterative. The three Ps, Jesus' way of giving, and they are this. Priority giving, percentage giving, and progressive giving. Okay, Priority giving, percentage giving, and progressive giving. We're going to take these one at a time. So the first P is priority giving. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When I was a kid, we memorized the King James. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is saying, if you put the kingdom of God first, if you put God first in your life, everything else is going to fall into place. How often do we worry about all those other material things? You know, will I have enough to eat? Uh, Will my kids be healthy? Will everything be all right? And Jesus says, no, don't worry about all that stuff. This is the Sermon on the Mount. These words come from Jesus' teaching, and he's teaching his disciples. Don't worry. He's teaching his disciples. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to pick. He's saying, now, if you pick God, here's the thing. All these other things that you're concerned about will fall into place. All these other things will be added and given to you. Priority giving means God comes first. No matter how rich or poor you may feel, the time to be generous is now. 
The time to be generous is now. And I know the hesitation. And the hesitation is this. Oh, pastor, well, you wouldn't understand. You see, we're in debt right now. We've got a lot of debt. We're trying to pay it down. Or, you know, my car just went in the shop, and I've got to find some way to pay for that. Or, you know, we're paying for braces for the kids, and we're saving up for college tuition. Uh, or I'm trying to, to make it to retirement and save up. And if, if I could just take care of those things, once I fix those things, then I'll be generous. I promise. I promise. Once I fix all that stuff, then I'll be generous. But see, here's the catch. Jesus is calling us to be generous right now. <laughs> Not to wait until everything is perfect and we think, oh, I've got extra money laying around. See, generosity isn't giving away what's extra, is it? Generosity is giving even when it's not convenient, even when it's not easy. Priority giving means the first thing that you do with your money every month is give some of it to God. Priority giving means giving to God comes first. Before the mortgage, before the rent, before the groceries, before you buy clothes, even before your savings. So that whenever God blesses you with income, you would give a portion of that back to God's work through the church. Priority giving helps us to make God a priority in our lives. Because you better believe you are a priority to God. So I want to invite you to make God a priority in your life by priority giving. It helps us to live out our mantra, I will hope not in riches, but in God who richly provides. So the first P is priority giving. The second P is percentage giving. So Jesus cares, it, it turns out, much less about the actual dollar amount of our gifts and much more about what percentage of our income that gift represents. So the story goes, you may know this story, one day Jesus and his disciples are sitting outside the temple and they are actually watching people put money into the offering. Now apparently nobody told Jesus that's rude to look at what someone else puts in the offering. But that's what they're doing, they're sitting there and they, Jesus is, you know, he's this master teacher, he's observing and he says, look, look, see what's happening? And a bunch of rich people were putting a lot of money in. And you know how rich people do, they kind of show off a little bit and spread the hundreds really wide, you know, when you drop it in. And then after the rich people came through, a poor widow came, and she put in two small coins, and literally worth just a few cents. And you remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said about that? He said, this poor widow has given more than all the others. She gave more out of her poverty, he said. She gave everything she had to live on. And so Jesus' point is that generosity is not measured by actual dollars. Generosity is measured by percentages. Gener generosity is measured by what portion of what you have you would give away and share with others. The widow gave more, not because she gave more actual dollars. She gave way less actual dollars. But as a percentage of what she had, she gave away so much more. See, the rich people gave what they had to spare, but she gave everything. She gave everything she had. And so the thing I love about percentage giving, it means no matter how much we have, we can be generous. Because it's not a dollar amount, it's a percentage. So if you have a little and you give a percentage of that, you can be generous. And if you have a lot and you give a percentage of that, you can be generous. So what percentage should we give? That's the million dollar question, right? What percentage should we give? Well, I'm going to just give it to you straight. The biblical standard is the tithe. The biblical standard is 10%. Now, for some of us, that feels like a way off, like, hey, man, I would love to do that. I'm not, I'm not there yet. 
So I want to actually encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you, if you're not there yet, that's something to work towards. That's a great goal for your giving to God. Some of us here are giving 10%, and we thank you for your leadership and in, in generosity in leading this church by your giving. Some of us are not there yet, and we're on the way. Either way, what I want to invite you to do this week is to sit down at your kitchen table. Sit down with your family, and I want you to put on paper, look at your income on one side, and look at your expenses on the other, and I want you to talk to God about it, and I want you to talk to each other about it, and I want you to decide this week on a percentage of your income for 2017 that you will give away in support of God's work through Timberlake Church. And then once you've decided on that percentage, I want you to do the math, and then I want you to fill out this pledge card with real numbers, and then you would bring this next Sunday for I Love My Church Sunday and give this as an offering, as a commitment to God and to this church. My friends, if you do that, it will change your life. I promise. It will change your life. God will be a priority for you in ways perhaps you never, ever dreamed. So I want you to write down that gift amount that you plan to bring. Now, maybe that's just 1%. And if that's where you are, that's great. Even if it's just 1%. The thing is, we want you to plan it now for next year. So do the math. Fill it out. Now, we have a, a giving chart that was included in your stewardship letter. And I want to show you just kind of a clip of it this morning. This is a guide, a sort of a suggested guide for what your personal plan for commitment might look like. So look with me down the left column. You see 20000 50000 80000 That is your salary. So whatever your household in income is for the year. And then across the top, you can see some suggested percentages, 3, 7, 10. So let's say for a sake of argument, your household income is $50,000. And let's say you've, you've committed to next year to give 7% of that $50,000. And if you look at the intersection of 50000 and 7%, that means your weekly gift would be $67. So that's how that chart works. This is not to try to tell you what to do, but just to help you give some simple math to this idea of percentage giving. Here's what most Americans do in, in, my, in my experience. What most Americans do is they give a little here, they give a little there. They say, oh, shoot, I forgot my wallet this week. I'll get it next week. You know, and they give some. And they do it uh, because of the sense of generosity of their heart, but they do it without a lot of intention. And they do it certainly without a lot of planning and structure about it. And then they get to the end of the year and they do the math and they say, oh, look, look, we gave 4% this year. That's cool. What I'm asking you to do is to decide in advance to make a commitment, not to find out after the fact, but to commit this week for the coming year, what percentage of your income will you give for God's work? So the first P is priority giving. The second P is percentage giving. The third P is progressive giving. Progressive giving. Progressive giving means if you're giving 1% this year, you might consider giving 2% next year. Or if you're giving 10% this year, some of you have been giving 10% for a long time. Maybe it's time to step up to 11 or 12%. Progressive giving means we make progress. We take the next faithful step in our walk with Jesus Christ. Let's look at what Jesus had to say about making progress. Look with me in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. We got it for you on the screen. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we've probably all heard that. Maybe we didn't know that Jesus was the one that said it. Interestingly enough, it's not in the gospel, but they've recorded it in Acts, referring back to something Jesus had said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, to grow in our faith is to grow in our blessing. You see, when we were new Christians, we did a lot of receiving, didn't we? 
We receive the good news. We receive the forgiveness of our sin. We receive the salvation of our souls. We just, we just bathed ourselves in the mercy of God, and it was good, and it was a blessing, wasn't it? But then as we grew in our faith, something happened, and we realized, oh, it's not enough for me to receive. I have to also give. And Jesus says it's a blessing to receive. It's a blessing to receive all of those gifts of the God who loves us. But he says it's even more of a blessing when you not only receive, but you also give. You give away what you yourself have been given. Priority giving, percentage giving, progressive giving. My friends, this is the Jesus way to generosity. This is the Jesus way to hope not in riches, but in God who richly provides. One last thought for you this morning. I want you to notice that uh, these verses began with the words, command those who are rich in this present world. Did you notice that? Paul said, in this present world. What do you suppose he means by that? Well, I think he's making a contrast between this world and the world to come. And he's talking about the people who have wealth, who have resources right now in this life. In other words, you and me, because we have been blessed in that way. My friends, remember, there is more to life than this life, isn't there? There is more than what we can just see and touch. There is a life to come. And Paul wants us to know we need to be ready for that life to come. We need to be ready for heaven with God and all the saints. And so Paul says, as he finishes this passage, he's speaking of those who are rich in good deeds. He's talking about those who are generous with what they have. And he says in verse 19, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. My friends, this life is one thing, but there is more. There is a life to come in heaven. And when we are generous in this way, Jesus says, we lay up a firm foundation for ourselves. The path to treasures in heaven. The path to a firm foundation in Jesus. The path to life that is truly life is found through generosity. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that we can never, ever outgive God. You see, the first giver is always God. And so this morning, as we consider our own gifts to God and to this church, let me remind you that God is the first giver. And when God saw us suffering in sin, God sent his only son, the greatest gift ever given for you and for me and for this whole world, so that everyone who believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And so all the giving that we do is in response to what God has given to us in Jesus Christ. God's people say amen.